0: But what a beautiful song straight from the pages of Scripture. Herbert, you said something earlier that is more true than you knew when you said it. When this choir's behind me, it adds a little gas to my engine, I'm going to tell you. We've been in a temporary place worshiping for a while, and they've been over to my right instead of behind me because we just didn't have the space for that. And it's good to know my choir's got my back again. And Sunday they'll be right behind me. I know it's a little rough on them, though, because they get a big glare off the top of this here solar panel. But uh, anyway, I, I can't thank you guys enough. Um, thank you so much for preparing hearts for worship. Are you ready to worship at this point? Amen. Are you ready just to get right into God's Word? If you are, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Where we'll pick up where we left off last night. Again, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible right there between Genesis and Revelation. Very easy to find. Right there in the Old Testament. Written by Moses in 1541 B.C. It is a series of sermons, three sermons to be exact. And it is Moses speaking to the children of Israel in second generation. They are not the original people who left... The, the Egypt and let, went through the wilderness. They are the second generation. And Moses realized that they had fallen away from the things that mattered. They had forgotten the basics. And so this is, in effect, in Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. Why do I bring that to you? Because I think as I look across the landscape of our nation and our churches that we've gotten away from the basics too. We've become fearful to even stand up for these basic tenets of the faith. And folks, let me just tell you, if we can't get the Ten Commandments right, we're not going to get anything else right. Those are the bare bones basics. These are just the beginnings of the boundaries we should be staying within. And so we talked about that a bit on Sunday morning, that we needed to get back to the Ten Commandments because, after all, they are not ten suggestions. God did not say, I hope you will do these things. He commanded the children of Israel to do those things. You say, well, if he was talking to the children of Israel, does that apply to me? I'm not a Jew. I'm a pig-eating Gentile. It's yours too, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his expectations for his children are as well. Now, then, Sunday night at youth night, I explained to the young people, but I hope to all of you that the reason we keep these is not to try to just be good people. you will never be good enough to make a real difference you really won't not in God's eyes because he is perfect he is holy as the choir just sang so aptly it's not just about keeping rules we do it because it is for our own good I shared with you that night that that was my number two most hated phrase from my parents The first one was because. I wanted a reason. Because was not a reason. Now that I'm a parent, because is a perfectly good reason. And so Noah, Micah, just get over it. If I say because, that's the end of it, even though I hated it then. The second thing that I hated the most when my parents said it is, For your own good. I'm like, if it's for somebody's good, do it yourself. I don't really think it's good for me right now because it's not what I want. But God said, keep these commandments. They're not suggestions because, folks, God sees the big picture of your life. As a matter of fact, God can see right down through the ages. He can see all the way back through eternity past. He knows the whole picture of your life and everyone else's when we only see one little piece of the jigsaw puzzle. You know, when you're putting a puzzle together, if you've only got one piece and there's a thousand others sitting there, you really don't have the big picture, even if you look at the box. God has the whole picture. And even though it seems He's being overbearing or a power monger or trying to keep us under His thumb, that is far from the truth. He loves you. He loves you so much that He stretched out His arms and died for you. Now, none of us deserve that. But he loves you he said i know that if i give you these commandments these boundaries you'll be okay it's for your own benefit what were some of the benefits we talked about well ultimately if you make the lord your god and your only god then you're going to enjoy eternity in a beautiful and perfect place now i'll tell you that's enough for me i can go through all the hell the devil will throw at me on this earth if i know that it's just going to last a little while because what is a lifetime even if i live to a hundred When I'm going to spend eternity somewhere, and that's probably a misnomer too because you can't spend up eternity. I say it and I always correct my own self. We're going to enjoy eternity and it is going to last and last and last how wonderful a benefit is that as i talked about when you get a job the benefits package is almost as important as the salary sometimes and that is a great benefit not only that how does this sound for a benefit if we stay within the boundaries that god has set for us and keep these commands that he's given us then it puts a smile on his face and i don't know about you i know i can't pay him back for what he's done for me but i certainly want to live a life that says thank you lord and i love you and as we talked about As we keep these commandments, it says the Lord is well pleased. So we've been in Deuteronomy 5, we've been in Deuteronomy 10, and you realize we've been in 15 other books. Bet you didn't even realize that. We've been bouncing all over the place. Then we came back together on Monday night, and as we talked Monday night, we got into some of the actual commandments. We talked about the first four, in fact, which are the most important. Not that I'm going to try to grade these things, but they are about our relationship with the Holy God. And remember what Jesus said to those Pharisees and the legalistic scribes when they said, what's the greatest law? What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We're not loving Him with all of anything. As a matter of fact, we're treating Him like a dog and throwing scraps out the door at Him, whatever we've got left over. If if the shoe fits, wear it. If you're giving Him everything you got, keep on. Praise the Lord. I want to shake your hand afterwards. But the truth is, most of us are giving Him our leftovers, what's left at the end of the day, of our time, of our money, of our resources, of our heart. And God said, I'm a jealous God. I want a real relationship with you, not just a halfway relationship. And so as we looked at these commandments, we realized on Monday night, He didn't want us to have any other gods before Him, whether it be the God of money, the God of fame, or power, or stuff, or jobs, or even family. Now folks, do not misquote me. That is like the the 11th commandment. Do not misquote Herbert Brown and the other preachers who come here, okay? The reality is, I know you should love your family. God made it clear. He's the first priority. Family should be second. But sometimes we get just that one switched up and people make their families, their lives, their God. And they say, boy, you're really stepping on my toes. I love my family. Keep loving your family. But if God's not first, you can't love them correctly. Do you hear me? God's got to be first. And because of that, he said, don't be making any graven images either. It doesn't mean art. It doesn't mean we can't put a cross somewhere and be thankful when we see this cross that we know our Savior died on this instrument of torture because He loved us so much. But what it means is we don't do as the children of Israel, and the minute that we get the sort of drifting away from the Lord, we feel like He's distant. You see, it's not Him that's moving, it's us. The minute that he, they felt distant, they melted down a bunch of gold earrings and jewelry and made a golden cow and then bowed down and worshiped it. The point is, God is a jealous God. He wants it all. He's about as jealous as ladies are over their husbands. Ladies, I love it. I love it when I see you get jealous over your husbands. It means you care deeply. And it means they get ready to get smacked upside the head. And I like that too. I'm telling you, be jealous. Be jealous of the things and the people you love. God wants your heart and the first fruits of your life. Every bit of it. He's a jealous God. So God before all, no graven images. He said, and do not take my name in vain. And how could we do anything like that? How could we? First of all, it is not befitting of any royalty to speak profanity. And you are a child of the king. You are joint heirs with Jesus in all that he has made happen for you. And royalty acts different, looks different, and it ought to talk different. If you are one that somehow feels like it's okay to have a potty mouth and run around throwing around a bunch of four-letter words, something's wrong. You need to do a spiritual checkup. It's not cool. The Scripture said, I'll let no vain thing escape my lips. And I'll guarantee you there's a lot of people in here that just curse all the time and think nothing of it. I hear it on the church ball field sometimes. Now, if I hear it from Antioch, they ain't going to be on the field no more. And my folks know that. Because when you're wearing a banner on your back that says Antioch, it should mean something. More than that, when you're out there with a Christian ball league, it ought to mean something. But I hear it in places like that. I hear it out in public. I even have parishioners come to me and feel like it's okay to cuss in front of me. I don't want to hear the junk. It shows that you've got a lack of vocabulary, a lack of self-control, and a lack of respect for me and for God. So don't curse at all. But if you're going to curse, you deal with the Lord on that one. But don't you dare say God's name in any negative way. Because God is holy. It means He's perfect. And we've got no right to put His name or tag His name onto anything less than perfect or anything that is praise or good. It's just not acceptable. And it's a commandment. So G.D. is the prince of profanity for me. I know that these days there's another word that they say is like the prince of profanity. But according to Scripture, G.D. is for me. And you know, that includes saying, Jesus Christ, or Lord, or good God. Those things are all taking the name of the Lord in vain because you're using His name in a negative connotation. It's unacceptable. I hope you understand that. We moved on into that thing about the Sabbath day. And I said, we're not Jews. We don't keep the Sabbath because if we did we're all in trouble. Sabbath is on Saturday. It's where the word came from, Sabado, Saturday. But we don't keep that. Why? Because it was a picture of the Mosaic Covenant and the fact that they were celebrating and remembering that God created the earth in 6 days and on the 7th he rested. Now, even though we don't keep the Sabbath, we'd better be keeping the Lord's Day. And you know, church shouldn't be the exception to the rule. Your hind end ought to be planted in one of these pews if you are a member of the Risa Baptist Church on Sunday morning, rather than at the lake, or a ball game, or waiting for a race, or anything else. If you're upset, take it up with the author, not me, okay? I told you last night, I didn't write this stuff, but it's good stuff. Why? Because the ball game, the race, the lake is not going to make an eternal difference in your life, but church just might. But these days, it's not like it used to be. You didn't used to even wonder about what you were doing on Sunday morning. You just knew, I'm going to be in the Lord's house because it's the Lord's day. That was the rule. And the exception was if you were off on vacation. The exception was if you had something else to do. Not anymore. Church is the sort of exception to the rule. You do whatever else you want to do and then you come to church. Folks, I know I'm twisting your arm a little bit now. I'm just telling you we need to observe the Lord's day even though we don't keep the Sabbath. And in that we also remember the Lord's Supper which you guys will be celebrating on Sunday. What a beautiful thing to remember the New Covenant. And that sort of has taken the place. Now that's an argument we could have and debate for a long time theologically. I'm sure Lee and I could talk for hours about that one because he's still in seminary and learning all that good stuff. But the point is observe the Lord's day. Remember the fact that God is so powerful and awesome he created everything in six days and on the seventh he rested. And you know what? It's okay for you to take a rest too. It really is. Your body wasn't created to go all the time. If God took a rest, take your rest. Herbert, you need to listen to me because you don't ever rest. (laughs) He said last night, and he don't. I mean, he's always running full speed. But he said last night he was going to go home while I was eating Doritos and cheese. And he was going to take some, uh, what was it, Activia and Metamucil. (laughs) Brother, listen, slow down and relax so you don't have to eat as much of that junk, okay? And by the way, what kind of Baptist church feeds the Vist and preach of pinto beans before he preaches? I'm sorry, choir. I'm sorry. I mean, the rest of y'all might be armed that ate with me, but they didn't have a chance. Thank you. The meal was great. I'm just kidding. We'll get off that subject and I will exercise self-control. As we move right along, last night we talked about a message that seemed to be really disjointed. And I'll be honest with you, it was hard to get out. The enemy did not want me to tell you what I told you last night. I talked to you last night about honoring your father and mother. I told you as young parents you'd better require your children to respect and honor your authority because if they don't learn to respect and honor you, they aren't going to respect and honor anyone else. It's why I don't get surprised in the church when kids act like animals because they get to do it at home. They're in charge at home, and it's time for us to rise up and be parents and require them to keep this commandment. For those of you who don't have your parents anymore, I know that's difficult. I've lost a couple too, but I'm telling you, you respect those who are in authority above you, according to 1 Peter 2, and you treat them right, and you respect their wisdom and the fact that they've been there before. And again, why do we do this? Because there is a specific command in Ephesians and in Colossians that says, if you will do this, honor those in authority and honor your father and mother, It is well-pleasing to God. And again, boy, I like the thought of putting a smile on the face of the Almighty God. It really tickles me to think that little old me could do something to make my Heavenly Father grin, Because I like smiling as much as I like eating. And I like the thought of making him do that. But that brings us to a point where we talked about murder. Last night I said, you know, well, we're talking about parents and murder. And I said, there's a lot of ways that we could talk about murder. I hope you understand that anything that is done to take a life is you usurping God's authority. And you don't have that authority. No one on this planet has the right to determine when life begins or ends except for the Lord Almighty say there's a lot of exceptions there's things you don't understand I don't need to know the things that you think I don't understand I understand that it says in no uncertain terms thou shalt not kill Murder's murder it's not our right and there's a lot of other ways to murder won't go through all of those again because we'll be here all night but that brings us to tonight to a sermon that I didn't even give a title and none of my folks are thinking really They didn't have time they've been keeping me too busy at the church getting it ready for Sunday so I didn't even bother with the title what matters is the context of what we're talking about. Two little bit of sentences in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Neither shalt thou commit adultery, and neither shalt thou steal, verses 18 and 19. Missy asked me last night, how in the world are you going to preach a sermon on just two little sentences? Watch me. Watch me. Y'all think, oh, he's just going to do them two little sentences. we out of here in 15 minutes. You'd be better off if I was reading a whole chapter, because I can go a long way with these, but I'll try to be brief. When we think about adultery, a lot of things come to mind. And I know this is a sensitive subject. And parents, I know your kids are going to have questions. It's time to answer them. If they understand and listen well enough to want to know, you need to explain it to them. Because a lot of kids really don't understand what adultery is. And we grow up with problems because of that. you know why our kids are having so much trouble in the sexual realm? Because they're learning off the bathroom walls instead of the church and home where they're supposed to. It's tough. How are they supposed to know the right thing if the people who love them most and know God's Word doesn't, don't tell them? But adultery is very misunderstood. This is a true story. I remember walking by the nursery there at church one night, and my kids, bless their heart, they are there a lot at the church, it's sort of their second home. And several of the kids are in there playing. One of, them, one of my kids is over in the corner, and there some other girls over here in the corner, and they're cooking away on the uh, stove and just having fun, acting on this fake stove. And then I hear them say, well, bring me a drink, too, and I want some ice in that. And I thought, oh, what are they doing? And one of the little girls come out, and I said, what are you all doing in there? Oh, she said, we're playing adultery. <laughs> Man, I come up out of that chair. I was in there, and all they in there doing is, like I said, cooking at the oven, playing with the little fake refrigerator. They had somebody acting like the baby over in the bouncy seat. It was way too big. The bouncy seat's gone now. Nonetheless, I said, what in the world, what do you mean y'all to play adultery? Well, we acting like adults. Folks, let me tell you something. If playing adults is committing adultery, I don't guess I'll ever do it. I told you the other day. I believe taking your responsibility is mandatory, but growing up is just plain optional. I'm not going to play adultery if it means acting like an adult. But that's not what it means and we all know better. Adultery in no uncertain terms in its simplest definition is having a physical relationship with someone that is not your spouse. You hear me? Having a physical relationship with someone that is not your spouse. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's consensual. If it's not your spouse, then you are breaking this commandment and you are committing adultery. The Scriptures are very clear. Solomon told his son... He said, my son, learn to drink from your own well. And this is exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, be satisfied with what the Lord has given you. Now, there's not a soul in here, except for maybe me, that would say your spouse is absolutely perfect in every way. Very few of you. Listen, hey, y'all hush. I'm trying to get some brownie points. She ain't perfect, but she's about that close. But none of us would be so brazen a liar to say my spouse is perfect in every way. But they are still your spouse. You are still bound to them in the eyes of the law and more importantly, in the eyes of a holy God. You are no longer two people. You are one flesh according to the scripture. And if you've got physical needs, that's where it's taken care of. You don't go to your neighbor's house and drink out of their sink every morning, do you? Just bust up in the house and drink out of the sink. (laughs) Now, as close as this neighborhood, who it is, maybe some of you do. But you get my point. Drink out of your own well. But you know, we got a big problem with this even within the church. I know this. At one point early on in my ministry, there was a time when I had no less than 14, 15 couples I was in marital counseling with, and a lot of them were involved in extramarital affairs, adulterous affairs. can't call them anything else. They're just unacceptable. Why is this? It's because our culture has desensitized us to these kind of things. Fifty-one years ago, a show called I Love Lucy was on the air. Now, my folks know where I'm going with this, and so they're braced for it. But I Love Lucy, how many of you remember that? Good show, huh? I like that show. That was one crazy redhead, although I'm not sure how anybody knew she was redhead for years because the show was in black and white. But (laughs) she was crazy. She was absolutely crazy, and it was a good show. But you realize she was married to Ricky Ricardo in real life or Desi Arnaz. She was really married to this guy. She really got pregnant by this guy. But on the television show 51 years ago, even though in real life that was her husband, and it was really his baby, do you know when they showed them going to bed at night, they still went to bed in separate beds separated by a nightstand, a Bible, and a lamp on the table. These days you'd see Fred and Ethel in bed with them. Folks, listen, that's how far we've come in just a few decades. One generation, and we've slipped that much. Why? Because the enemy has made sure that we are saturated with sexual images of airbrushed people that aren't real to start with. Fellas, if you are drawn to that kind of garbage, let me tell you, there aren't real women like that that do those things. It's just an act, and they've been airbrushed. That ain't real. And even if it were... Is a couple, two or three hours of pleasure worth throwing away the respect that you have from your community, your wife, and breaking a vow that you made before a holy God? I'm just curious. Do you feel like it's worth it? Seems like too high a price for me. But I want to go a step further with this because there are a lot of you in here who have not committed the actual act of adultery. Boy, in Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28, Jesus took this thing to a new level. Again, not my words, but the words in red from our Savior Himself. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus Himself reminds them that the Ten Commandments are not suggestions, they're real. But then he takes it a step further because Jesus had explained to them it's not about keeping rules, it's about the heart and about your relationship with me and with others the way I want it to be. He said, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath already committed adultery with her in his heart. I think that just made most of us guilty. Just about everybody in here beyond puberty, my son calls it puberty, whatever you want to call it, Just about everybody in here beyond puberty, by that definition, has committed adultery. You say, you don't know my heart. I know humanity. And I know because we're spending so much time reading the Harlot Quinn novels and watching slop operas day and night on TV that we have become desensitized and think it's all right for anybody to have a physical relationship as long as they're consensual adults. Folks, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. It does not jibe with what God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Could it be any clearer? And I'm going to tell you something. I know I just offended some folks. You might like what you call romance novels. That's not romance. That's garbage. It's sin. And if you read that stuff long enough, and if you watch that stuff long enough, you really do begin to think it's not so bad. That's why things have changed so much from 51 years ago when I love Lucy was on the television and it's time for the church to stand up and say that's not acceptable anymore because my God said it wasn't acceptable anymore now the reality is there are lots of folks in here now feeling awful guilty the beautiful thing is the altar will be open in just a few minutes and shame on you if you're worried about what anybody else thinks if you come down you know sometimes people don't come to the altar because when you come to the altar tonight they're going to think who are they committing adultery with? They're going to watch the who you hug the hardest tonight when you leave. But that ain't what this is about. This is about you and God. And if you failed in this area, if you've committed the act, you need to find your knees. You need to make that right with the Holy God. If you have committed the act in your mind, it's still an issue in your heart. You need to quit entertaining those thoughts. You need to give them to the Lord tonight and stop it. As Scripture says, take every thought captive. Hey, listen, you say, well, you know, I got married. I didn't go blind. I agree. I love to look at a pretty woman as good as anybody on the planet. And if I were to stand in God's pulpit and say anything different, it'd be a lie. But my wife understands that. And she didn't go blind either. If she sees a handsome fellow, she's going to look. It's not the first look in admiring the fact that God created beautiful art in some of the people around us. That's the problem. It's the second one you began to want to do something with the art. Would you go to the Guggenheim Museum and look at a piece of art by Van Gogh and say, gosh, how wonderful is that? I mean, nothing wrong with that, right? But would you then take it off the wall and take it home with you? It's the same premise. Take those thoughts captive. Put your mind somewhere else. Fill it with the Word of God rather than the other garbage and watch how things change in your life because, again, God blesses obedience as much as He disciplines you for disobedience. The next one, Thou shalt not steal. I don't think we've got a lot of thieves in here. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a thief. I started my act of thievery when I was very young. used to be a store right at the end of Chambers Loop Road called Country Convenience. I was about seven or eight years old. I would ridden up there with my grandparents and I found a piece of that super bubble, great bubble gum that just looked too good to leave. I did. A lot of you have done it too. I grabbed a piece and just sort of walked out with it in my hand. I really don't think I was intending to be a thief, but that's when my career began. I took that bubble gum out as soon as I popped back in the back of that 69 Ford Fairlane, which was white and yellow all at the same time. I remember well. I got good memory. I throw that thing in my mouth, started chewing, my grandmother looked back. What have you got in your mouth? And you know, somehow, even if I didn't think I'd stolen anything, I knew I was in trouble from the tone. I told her, I said, it's a piece of bubble gum. Where'd you get it? I said, I got it out of the store. Did you pay him for it? She knew I hadn't. I said, well, no ma'am, I ain't got no money. I'm seven years old, where am I supposed to get money from? She said, You didn't pay for it? I said, No, ma'am. She smacked me upside the head so hard that bubblegum hit that window, and it's the one that ain't stuck there today somewhere in a junkyard. She said, You take this nickel, you go in there and pay for that bubblegum, and you apologize. And that's exactly what I did. He said, Boy, that's a little extreme. That's a kid. My grandmother was teaching me that thou shalt not steal. Folks, here's what stealing is, in case you don't know. And I'm not questioning your intelligence, but I'm going to tell you what stealing is. It's taking anything that does not rightfully belong to you. You either didn't pay for it, didn't earn it, or it just plain ain't yours. If you take it, it's stealing. I really don't do that, don't you? Young people and everyone else with an iPod, did you buy the music on it? If you didn't, you stole it. How about the folks with a computer, young and old? Is all the software on your computer legal? Do you have a license to own it? See, that's somebody's livelihood. I like sharing. You all know that. But if you're sharing something that's somebody else's livelihood, that's a problem. Do you take music, CDs, and make exact copies of them without permission? And see, I've learned the laws on that stuff. There's a little leeway there. But you can't make an exact copy of a CD and hand it off to somebody and say, here you go. Why? Because even if you think that those rock stars are making too much money or the Christian stars are making too much money and they wouldn't mind, it's their living. It's their property that they're giving to you if you pay them for it. And when you turn over to somebody else, that's stealing. Have you ever walked through the grocery store like Missy's dad? I get to pick on him. Listen, Tommy has busted heaven wide open and I know he is enjoying life in a way I can't imagine. But Tommy would admit to it, and Missy has watched him many times walk through birds where they had the Brock's candy. She <coughs> said, Really? Is he going there? Yeah, I'm going there. He bought by the Brock's candy and make it a sampler. <laughs> there was a box there that money was supposed to go in for the candy, but he walked by and grabbed it, and he loved him. Coconut bonbons. I do too. you know the ones with three colors? I wish I had some, matter of fact, now that I think about it. That would follow those pinto beans well. But Tommy would grab a couple of them things, pop it in his mouth. He you know, it was just a while he was shopping. I guess he figured oh, I'm spending enough money here. What the heck? Well, maybe you didn't do that. How many ever pulled a grape off of the produce aisle? Man, I've had plenty of grapes off the produce aisle. I mean, they're not going to sell them all, are they? And if it's not attached to the bunch, they're just going to throw it away, right? I don't know, but I know that that's not my grape. And what if everybody took just one grape? Guess how many grapes they're going to sell? And guess how quickly the store is going to go under, especially in today's economy. Folks, I'm not trying to be extreme. I'm trying to put into your mind that if you take anything that's not yours, you are showing that you don't respect this commandment. And it's unacceptable. You see, when we break either one of these, we are showing a lack of respect for what God expects for us. If you commit adultery, that's not all you're showing a lack of respect for. You're showing a lack of respect for yourself, a lack of respect to God, and a lack of respect to the person you're committing it with. I mean, there's nothing good to come of it. And what you're really showing if you commit either one of these is a lack of self-control. And is that befitting of a Christian? What does Galatians 5.23 say? One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And that's what these two commandments really boil down to. Are you going to tell me that temptation is more than you can handle? Because if you tell me that, I'm going to tell you, you need to find out if you're really a Christian. Because the Spirit that dwells within you can empower you to walk away from any temptation, whether it be to have a relationship with someone that is not your own or to take something that is not your own. How do we fix this? We find our knees and repent first for all of those things that we might have done in that regard, yet yeah, even the grapes, because they weren't yours. But once you've repented, you beg the Spirit to indwell you to such an extent that you can walk away from temptation. How do I know that's okay? Because as Jesus taught His disciples to pray, He said, pray like this. And he went on through that Lord's Prayer that you guys recite together here often. And part of that prayer is, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Why? Because His is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And when we don't show self-control, it embarrasses the name of Christ and it displeases our Heavenly Father. Folks, tonight during the invitation... Don't you worry about what anybody thinks. And listen, I don't care if one of you come down this aisle, but do business with the Lord. Because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that these two deal with us on a very personal level. And I pray that you will make things right so that you leave here with that burden off of your back. And then you pray daily that God will give you strength to do better. Let us pray. Father, we can't thank you enough just for the ability to be here tonight and worship you in freedom. I thank You for every bit of Your Word that's been spoken, whether it be through song or from Your Word. I pray that You will forgive us where we have failed You. And even if we have only just lusted in our heart, God, it is a failure and we are sorry. Cleanse us, as David said in Psalm 51, create in us a clean heart and renew within us a right spirit. Lead us not into temptation, but God, deliver us from the evil that the enemy would throw in front of us. Help us to stay, take a stand as Christians to say, I'm not going to buy this anymore. I'm not going to read that garbage. I'm not going to look at things where people that shouldn't be together are together. And I will never take anything that does not belong to me because I want to please you. Father, during this invitation, I pray that you would stir our hearts, not just for our grand altar call, but so that we might change from within and make a difference in this community, our state, our country, and in Your kingdom. Father, move Your people now in this invitation. I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.